You are listening to episode 20 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello and welcome to the Take the Reins podcast. Before we get into our interview today, I want to just touch base with you about the state of the world. I simply cannot ignore what is happening and I think it is important that we address it, take it seriously, and also ensure that we are able to keep a healthy perspective and mindset during such unique and challenging times. I want you to know that I'm here for you. If this new way of life is challenging and you find that isolation, changes, and unknown are becoming difficult for you to navigate, please reach out to me on social media. PM me and I'll help you through the struggles and help activate or reactivate a new perspective and healthier mindset. This is not me telling you to hire me or pitching a coaching offer to you. This is me telling you that in this time of isolation, that if you need to find a new connection, I am here for you. Love yourself and others a little harder in the coming days. Now, let's get into our interview. On today's podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with an equine-assisted therapist, Emily May, of Horse Wisdom Firm. Emily and I have a lovely conversation about using horses as therapists, consent-based horsemanship, and other great topics. I hope you enjoy this episode and take the next hour and a bit to shift your focus from COVID-19 and all it has brought with it and spend some time strengthening your horsemanship and your mindset. Welcome, Emily May. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. Can you please tell us, (laughs) let me try that again. Can you please tell our listeners today, where are you speaking to us from? I am, if we want to be really accurate, in central Saanich, but a lot of people probably haven't heard of that. So the closest bigger town is Victoria, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. Awesome. So we're on opposite sides of the country right now. And (laughs) how's your weather on your end? It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) Yeah, it's sunny. It's probably about 12 degrees outside. Oh, that is lovely. Yeah. 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 We've been quite lucky. uh, Victoria, February. (laughs) Yeah. We're we that we're not in a typical Nova Scotia February right now. I think today was about four or five degrees, which was quite nice and, oh, and sunny. So bad. we've had a we've had a pretty lucky winter so far on our end. It's been um, really nice to be able to work the horses and be able to be outside and not feel like we're gonna freeze to death. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. Most of what we have to worry about is usually just getting soaked. So yeah. we're pretty lucky that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So our conversation today is really going to be centered around our ability to use our horses to be able to heal. And it's becoming more and more popular. I know that there's a lot of programs out there available for not only horse people, but also non-horse people. And I know that you personally are an equine assisted therapist. So I thought that this would be a lovely opportunity for us to be able to have a conversation around what is equine assisted therapy versus what is equine assisted facilitators and just being able to have that conversation in order to understand the depth that you know people are going in order to help prepare our horses to become um i guess facilitators in our therapy and be able to have the conversation about when um when we look at the use of that word and we look at our horses, I know that a lot of the time, you know, when I'm, when I'm having conversations with people, they'll say, Oh, my horse is my therapist. And it's been something that I've been thinking a lot about. And I know that it was mentioned in a past interview that I did with Colton Woods about how, you know, we don't necessarily believe that our horses should be our therapists, but that horses are, absolutely healing. And I think this conversation we're going to have is vital for people to understand the process that needs to take place in order for our horses to be our therapists in a very fair and consensual way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know we were chatting earlier a bit. One of the main points of distinction that I make for everyone going into things is that the reason I call myself an equine assisted therapist is because I also have a master's degree in psychology. So to use a therapist word, technically, you either have to have a master's or a PhD in psychology. The rest of us are equine assisted learning facilitators, teachers, coaches, etc. And it's just an important distinction for people out there looking for different types of programs to know about. Absolutely. When we're talking about the equine-assisted therapy or equine-assisted learning facilitator, can you just give my audience a little background on where you got your education from, what kind of got you on this path, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the program itself. Yeah, for sure. So after I did the psychology portion of my education, first at uh, UVic and then actually Yorkville, I went and obtained a FEEL certification, and that stands for Facilitated Equine Experiential Learning. Mm-hmm. So I am a field facilitator because of my extra education in psychology. I am also allowed to call myself a field therapist, which lets my clients know that I'm also bringing other techniques in that I've mm-hmm. learned from my other education. Right. And the field certification I obtained at Mystic Waters Ranch, which is in Langley, British Columbia. They are a satellite campus of Horse Spirit Connections which is over in Ontario. And it's one of the longest, most in-depth equine-assisted learning programs there are as far as facilitating people to the extent that they are certified. Uh, So it's actually a six-month program 
with a number of uh, practicum days and you do have to be on the campus for a significant amount of time and then come back and do quite a bit of work with the courses you intend to use. Uh, so they do actually ask you when you apply for this program, whose horses are you going to use? Do you have your own horses, etc.? Because it's important to have horses and train them alongside yourself as you're doing that certification program. That's really interesting to know. So, you know, when we're learning about these new programs that are available for people to be able to go and and use whether they are horse people or non-horse people, it's interesting to know whether those horses are trained in these methods or if they're just horses that are kind of tossed into it. So for your education, you actually had to take the horses you were planning on using in your program and teach them your process or the feel process. That's right. Yeah. So we have to have practicum clients we ask people to be our guinea pigs, and it's kind of win-win. They get to do some therapy for free, and we get to experiment on them. But the idea of using the horses that you intend to partner with later once you're starting your program is so that they can go through the learning before you're having paying clients coming into your program. And it's a really interesting process with those horses because one of the main things you have to teach them is that they can say no to any part of this work. They can say no to working with a client that day. They can say no once they're working with the client to certain aspects of an activity. One of the main mantras of the feel community that I'm a part of now is if they can't say no, yes means nothing. And when we're looking to them to be our guides and our teachers, that's a lot more important than maybe they're saying no to getting their feet done, for example. Right, right. At which point they are not allowed to say no. <laughs> right. So but when, when it, comes it comes to the to, therapy work. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to their health and it comes to, you know, really making sure that they're cared for in a proper way, then no isn't necessarily an option. There's, of course, I'm sure, an empathetic, yes, we will listen to you through this process, but you're getting it done, kind of like when we're handling our children. But Very much so. <laughs> but when they're in the therapy sessions, you teach those horses to be able to say no and articulate a no. Can you just tell us what that might look like? Yeah, so I have a few stages where I'm looking for the horse's consent as we bring the horse to an activity. So just a little bit of background to sort of set this up in people's imaginations. I work on a 20-acre farm that's got just over 30 draft horses on it, and it's all open paddocks, so they can wander wherever they want to on that property. We do most of our activities with our clients in a round pen that's on one side of the property. So when I'm deciding which horse is going to work with my client that day, I'll leave my client outside the paddocks, I'll go inside the paddocks with a halter and a lead rope, and I'll actually just announce it out loud. Hello, horses, we've got, you know, Jane Smith here to do the connections activity, for example, who would like to volunteer for this activity, and I'll just wait. And invariably, at least one horse will come up to me. Hmm. And then the second yes I'm looking for, because that's yes number one, is that they're not just coming up to say hi. So instead of actively putting the halter on them right away, I'll hold it out so that the crown piece is actually the section that's undone. And I'll hold the nose piece out so that they can essentially put the nose in themselves. 
Right. And at that point, I'll do the halter up. We never slide it over their ears because we see that as more of a dominance thing. Mm -hmm. So this is just one little piece of letting go of that relationship with your horses in a way. Mm -hmm. And then the third yes that I'm looking for is that I should be able to walk the horse holding the lead rope with open palms. Mm -hmm. So I'll be holding on to their lead rope, but my hands will be open facing the sky so that if I walk and they don't walk super willingly with me, that rope would fall right out of my hands. Mm -hmm. And I want to see them walking in that willing manner all the way up to the round pen, which is a few hundred feet. And if any point, I mean, they could get right to the gate of the round pen at any point. If they turn around and start walking the other direction, I have to follow them and put them back in the paddock and ask a different horse. Mm -hmm. So I know that you've done a, lot of, uh, done a lot of education in order to get to the point where you are right now. Can you just tell us the mindset behind why this is so important? Yeah. So one of the differences between our work and some other programs is that we're not exactly, quote, using the horse to do an activity. It's not therapeutic riding, for example. All of our activities are on the ground. And it's not just about, okay, learn how to lead the horse on the lead rope and that will give you confidence. Uh, confidence boost. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more recognizing of the ability the horse has to pick up on your energy and reflect that energy back to you. So the idea is that horses need to be taught that they have a voice and that we accept their voice, not just about themselves. It's not just, oh, I don't feel like working today, but it's also, oh, you're telling me something that I haven't seen in myself and I'm actually willing to listen to you about that. So in teaching them these little choices, such as are you interested in coming to the round pen to work with us, we also teach them that we're listening on a deeper level. And we actually change the language around a lot of certain words. We always do our best to say, you know, you know, for example, your horse partner is going to help you do X, Y, Z, rather than, okay, now we're going to use the horse to teach you this. Mm -hmm. So it's really recognizing the horse as an equal partner, as the teacher, as the therapist. And honestly, this work has started convincing me that magic exists a little bit because some of the things the horses do are really weird. And I don't know exactly how they figure out how to do this work in a highly communicative way with my clients. Right. What we do know is that when we give them choice, they seem to start speaking up a lot more when it comes to looking inside us and telling us what we need to be focusing on. Right. Interesting. And there's something there that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about because I think it's really important for us to understand that body language means a lot to our horses. And those of you who are listening, you know, I know a lot of you are horse people so that is something that we know a lot about, that body language really is their first language. But when it comes to really owning how we're feeling and then how it's presented on the outside, I know that you and I had a little bit of conversation around people saying, you know, try not to look afraid or or to really mm -hmm. hide how you're feeling. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and your theory around our horse's ability to work with us when we're feeling, at, you know, not at ease? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we are teaching people when they come to our program as clients is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And one of the 
sort of myths that I like to dispel for my clients is this idea that you should never show your horse your fear. We teach our clients that that is not the case specifically. It's incongruence that horses don't like. And that makes sense, right? Because mm -hmm. if a lion is pretending that it's relaxing when it's actually trying to hunt the zebra, mm -hmm. it's very beneficial for the zebra to be able to tell the difference between a lion that is genuinely relaxing, in which mm -hmm. case it's a waste of energy to run away, versus mm -hmm. a lion that is pretending to relax and is about to jump on us. So, or on the zebra. So the idea of teaching people to be authentic with horses is from an evolutionary standpoint where what makes them nervous is when a being is attempting to hide their natural state. Mm -hmm. So fear is a perfect example because we do have people that have never worked with horses before and my biggest horse is 19 hands, so they can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, you know, if you're feeling fear as you approach the horse, say it out loud get it out there, be authentic, say, hey, horsey, I'm just feeling a little bit scared as I approach you right now. And the fact that they're now walking up to the horse in a more congruent way will allow the horse to relax. And in that setting, I've never seen a horse get nervous. It's when we approach the horse with a smile, but we're so scared our heart is beating out of our chest. The horse mm -hmm. can sense that heart rate and they're wondering, why are you smiling at me when your mm -hmm. body is saying that you're terrified? Mm -hmm. And something I notice in the round pen, it's a 60 foot round pen. So they have a lot of room to walk away from the client. They're at liberty in there with the client. And what I find really interesting is you mentioned connection before. One of our first activities is called the connection activity. And if people are not being authentic as they're attempting this uh, early activity with the horses, the horse will usually be completely uninterested in that person. Mm -hmm. They won't necessarily become skittish because I've, work with draft horses they're pretty calm most of the time but they'll just kind of slowly wander away go around and smell things maybe try to reach for the trees and eat some leaves or something like that but as soon as the person does their best to ground themselves and really show their true emotion in that moment that's when the horse almost always joins up with them and engages in that connection that so many people are hoping to experience when they come to the farm Interesting. So can you walk us through a typical equine assisted therapy session? So I know yeah. that you've talked a little bit about it already where you go out to the pasture and you really look for that consent, but what does the overall picture look like? Yeah. So when you first arrive on the farm, we do a lot of verbal prep for the client. We teach them about body language and we also get into the science of why our work works a little mm -hmm. bit. I won't do a huge deep dive on that, but we talk about the size of a horse's heart, the electromagnetic energy it puts out. An amazing resource is the Heart Math Institute mm -hmm, for anyone absolutely. who wants to know more about that. And so we talk about how just being in the horse's presence is actually very calming and grounding. But we also talk about our consent piece and again, body language, so that once the horse has agreed to the activity and they're in the round pen with me, the other thing that we can only do with the horse's consent is touch them. Mm -hmm. So we train our clients to read the horses in a way that they're only coming into their personal space and help them learn where that is and only touching them if the horse is accepting that. Mm -hmm. And that would actually be the second activity we do. The first one after this little setup is always called meet the herd. And that is a silent activity. There's no talking and no touching of the horses. 
and you ask people to journal about the horses they see and use their gut instinct to guess facts about the horse. Hmm. We give them some prompts, like, you know, some of the easy things, if you can't think of anything to write, is do you think the horse is male or female? Do you think they're dominant or submissive in the herd? Do you think they're a horse that's still working or a horse that's retired and doing therapy full time? Do mm-hmm. you think that they are a certain type of healer? So some horses really like to comfort. Other horses really like to challenge, for example. And we just tell people to do a free association activity. And the idea is getting them in touch with their gut instincts. And mm-hmm. what comes from this activity either is maybe you're better with your gut instinct than you thought, or maybe you got absolutely everything wrong. And now we have a benchmark so that we can go back and see if you can improve this ability when we've done a couple sessions. Mm -hmm. So that one is completely outside paddocks. That's the first activity. And it gives people an opportunity to observe their body language for a little bit as well and apply what they've just learned inside a room to the actual horses. Mm -hmm. And then the second activity is the connections activity. So as I described earlier, I'm the one who asks the horses, you know, who's going to work with us and come to the round pen. Almost every client will tell you or whoever they're talking to that they were really scared that none of the horses would choose them. Hmm. First of all, I've never had that happen. Interesting. Second of all, if that's happening, that is a huge learning point. Something is going on in that client and it's not just fear. We've got lots of people with horse phobias or fears about the horses come to the farm. So if every single horse is walking away, there's a really interesting factor to talk about there. But that's off into the weeds a little bit. So we get mm-hmm. into the round pen. I've taught the person how to approach the horse in a very gentle way, which means that you're making sure you are breathing, making sure your facial expression is reflecting what you're really feeling inside. And if you might struggle with that, just say your emotions. You don't have to say them loud enough for me to hear. You're saying it to the horse. And then again, the client has the opportunity to pet the horse or touch them if the horse consents to this. Mm -hmm. And we find the client really does need to be calm and grounded for the horse to want that touch. And usually what I find is the people that struggle with needing to touch the horse, like I came here to touch a horse and I really want to touch a horse. I don't care what it says. It's always the horses that don't like touch that will volunteer for that client. Interesting. Which is really fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And then once they're in that personal space with the horse, we give them about 10 minutes to enjoy a connection. And most horse owners know what this is without knowing that that's what we call it. It's that moment when you feel really connected to your horse and you tend to see signs of relaxation in your horse as well. Your foreheads might connect. The horse might put their chest up against yours. Again, we have really tall horses, so it's really easy for them to touch our hearts with theirs, essentially. Mm -hmm. So they really like that sort of around the neck and withers hug from a person that's in the right state. But the idea is you're connecting the energy of your heart with the energy of the horse's heart. Mm-hmm. And not only is this really grounding and emotionally rewarding and comforting, but there's actually something scientific that mm-hmm. is now happening where the horse's heart is so big and so slow at rest, we tend to match each other. So mm-hmm. it's physically slowing our heart rate down and almost cleansing our heart energy. I say it's almost like kidney dialysis for the mm-hmm. electromagnetic flow of your heart energy. 
Mm-hmm. And anyone who has looked into, so it's interesting that I think I'm not even sure how many interviews I'm at right now, but three of them at least have brought up the HeartMath Institute. Now, awesome. <laughs> when I <laughs> was, I think it was 2017, I went to a clinic and there was a woman there who was from Australia and she was supposed to go home and she ended up just on a whim staying and she looked at me the very first day that I was there and she said, oh my gosh, like you, I have to teach you about heart math. Said, okay. No idea what she was talking about. <laughs> so I think I've spoken about it before, so I won't get too deep into it, but she and I, she introduced me to heart math. She introduced me to the, to the little device that goes along with it. And then mm-hmm. uh, just recently I reached out to someone involved in heart math and said, no, this is two or three years later. And I'm saying, I know there's a reason why I have this. I know there's a reason why this was brought to me and I just need to figure out why, like what is, what is the purpose of this in my life? And Mm -hmm. so I started having those conversations and then the next um, thing that started coming up in conversation was that I needed to find uh, the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza. So I'm not sure if you've heard of him. I actually have. I haven't read any of his books yet, but we have a big, long reading list in our certification Mm. from which we choose books Mm -hmm. to read and do reports on. And unfortunately, I didn't choose his book as Mm -hmm. one of the options, but I'm I'm pretty sure off the top of my head that he was one of the optional uh, readings for our overall required reading. Yeah, and I I don't doubt it. Um, they, so the HeartMath Institute and Dr. Joe Dispenza have partnered on a lot of things. And so his work really looks at, you know, our physical state and then how our thoughts and our emotions affect our physical state and then how that translates into all of the things that we do. And so when he talks about the, the, heart intelligence and talking about congruence and really when we're working with our horses that ability to become congruent in our bodies all around the work with our horses is when you when you use the word magic it's like magic it's not magic it's totally science-based but it is so much like magic (laughs) um, because they do match up with our heart rate and when our heart becomes or when they when it starts to to beat in a more congruent way that really has an impact on our physical health so it then puts all of our energy centers in congruence and it is uh it's a pretty incredible state and i know that dr joe dispenza really dives very deeply into the whole thing so if there's anyone that's a little curious about it if you look up the heart math institute i know that they offer incredible information but so does uh dr joe dispenza if anyone's looking for a little bit of insight there i know that the book that i'm reading from him right now is becoming supernatural but he has so much content online that it's um it's almost impossible not to learn from him. <laughs> yeah, and, and what you are saying really ties into one of the things we're teaching. You mentioned hard intelligence. So mm-hmm. a big one of the offerings that we are sort of advertising to our clients is 
getting people more in touch with the intelligence of their heart, getting people more in touch with the intelligence of their gut, not only to enable them to be congruent, but to improve decision making too, which Mm -hmm. is something as a counselor, so many of the people that say they need counseling, whether it's for PTSD, depression, anxiety, almost always on, you know, say an intake interview questionnaire, people will say, one of the things I struggle with is making decisions, whether Mm -hmm. it's they have a really hard time making them in a timely manner, or whether it's they make decisions that they later wish they had maybe done differently. Mm -hmm. I do also teach people to let go of regret. So I don't want to say, you know, making decisions that you'll regret. (laughs) But a huge part of it is that we have been trained to ignore the intelligence of our heart and our gut and Mm -hmm. see them as you know the heart is a pump the gut is a processing plant and the brain makes all of our decisions right and now we're really learning that they're a little bit more of a team than that Mm -hmm. the brain is sort of the information processing plant but Mm -hmm. the heart and the gut are both sensory organs the heart especially for the energy that's around us Mm -hmm. so enabling people to be in touch with their heart and their gut and as we like to call it be in their bodies is one of the big teachings we engage in. And one of the ways we do that is as the facilitator, we'll often ask the client, how does it feel in your body? Mm -hmm. So we might ask them to do a body scan before they work with the horse, where we lead them through a sort of a meditation where they're breathing and they're checking in with every part of their body, just noticing any sensations that are there, not trying to let go of them. It's not a breathe it out kind of a thing. It's just notice what you're feeling in your body because some people never do that Mm -hmm. then they go in with the horse we ask them how's your body feel now especially say somebody says oh you know the biggest sensation i'm noticing was in my gut okay how does that sensation feel or change once you're in with the horse for the first time what about when the activity is complete and you'll see all of these shifts in people's bodies and this helps them to become more aware of when they're having a gut instinct about something in day-to-day life that might be their body raising a really big flag about something that they should either be avoiding or chasing as part of chasing their dreams. Mm -hmm. And I think it all comes down to, um, and not all comes down to, but it largely comes down to trust. And when we have an inability to make decisions, then there's an inability to be able to trust that yes, my body does know. And I don't do equine facilitated learning, but I must say that when someone learns to trust, especially if they're a non-horse person, and they learn to trust that they're safe and that they know what to do in an environment with a horse that you know might offer them some fear in that moment, or it, they, they seem like it's a situation that they wouldn't be comfortable in, that it must translate into their daily lives as well. Absolutely. And we do engage in a discussion period of time after all of the horse activities to make sure that people are able to take the learning they've experienced in a session mm-hmm. out into the world. Because as much as I would love people to just come to me three times a week for the rest of their lives, <laughs> I'm not doing them a service if that's what they need to keep going or keep thriving in life. Mm-hmm. The best counselors out there 
will never see their clients again after a certain period of time. Right. I mean, some clients might come back for checkups and that's great. But, mm -hmm. you know, as a counselor, my goal is for my clients not to need me anymore. So right. that discussion period is really important for getting people to lock the experience in. That's why we take them back into their bodies and ask them questions about how it felt. And it's also an opportunity for us to ask questions like, how could you apply what you just learned into X, Y, Z that you talked about struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's absolutely about coming and getting the healing from being in the horse's presence, but it's also about learning things that you can take home with you. And you know, one of the scariest things in the world is making decisions with your gut if you've mm. never done that before. Mm -hmm. um, I like to tell people I come from a very long lineage of lawyers. So I was brought up that the way you make a decision is you make a pros and a cons list. You mm -hmm. reason through everything. And I would never say that I was a bad decision maker, but it would be grueling for me. I would spend days and days making decisions and I would fret about it all day long until the decision was finally made and then I'd wonder constantly if I'd made the right one and once I started making the decision with the help of my gut and sometimes with the help of my horses sometimes if my gut isn't being very helpful I will literally just ask the horse and I'll tell you how I do that it started becoming a much more peaceful process for me to make decisions mm -hmm. and I'm hearing that feedback from my clients as well that now they can make a decision really quickly and that they've never second guessed those decisions then that the best decisions they tend to make are the ones that they are making once they've learned to use their gut or the help of the horse to do so mm -hmm. that's so valuable so yeah. can you just give us an idea of how you go about that so you said that sometimes you use your horses as a facilitator to make you know to help you absolutely so one thing that people who train horses might be familiar with is looking for the horse licking and chewing, sort of mm -hmm. moving their mouth around. Mm -hmm. And because our horses are already very, very trained as it is, when we're looking for that, it's not so much looking for, okay, have they understood? Have they learned this successfully? It's more essentially a yes. So we mm -hmm. teach our therapy horses, if they want to confirm something we're saying or thinking, they lick and chew as a yes and they do nothing as a no. And sometimes if they want to give you a really firm no, they'll turn and walk away from you. Hmm. So if I am choosing between, you know, course of action A versus B and my gut isn't really being very helpful, I'll actually go up to a horse. Of course, you have to ask the horse if they're willing to help you make that decision first. And then you look for a little bit of a connection first, similar to that first connection activity. So you want to make sure you're establishing the connection with the horse. Mm -hmm. And then you say to them, either out loud or in your head, because it's your energy that they're responding to that matters, right? Mm -hmm. So you say to them, you know, do you think I should do option A? And you wait a moment and you watch what they do. And then you say, do you think that I should do option B? And you wait a moment and you see what they do. I've never had a horse lick and chew for both answers. Interesting. The one exception, I should say, actually, that's not true. Once I have, and it was a situation where A and B could both be done. Hmm. So I did both of them instead. Mm -hmm. And that's my go-to when my gut isn't working. The way I do it with my gut is I look for sort of a discomfort or a pain, and mm -hmm. I go through the same process. Okay, gut, should I do option A? 
what is it doing? And if my gut is feeling tense about both options, it probably means that I'm just nervous about the whole gosh darn thing. Right. And that's when I go to the horses to help me make that decision. And with practice, you can start getting answers without that level of formality. So right. looking and chewing is a great thing to look for for people that are still getting used to this idea that we can have that level of conversation with our horses, but you'll start just getting gut instinct response from them because they kind of pick up on your energy and then they shoot a little bit of energy back from you. And I'm not saying that my horse knows whether it's better for me to buy hockey skates or rollerblades, mm -hmm. but they feel some part of me that knows the truly correct decision right. and they respond to it. Right. So they like that part of me that kind of jumps up in an energy spike when I'm thinking about the right decision. Mm -hmm. And my problem is just that my brain is doing so many cartwheels, I'm not listening to my own messages. I think the that's a can really important, an important point there is, you know, just to, just to make sure that people aren't feeling like, oh, this sounds a little, a little woo-woo, right? This sounds like it, a little it too much. It sounds super, super woo-woo for but sure. And it it's a constant it. effort to explain the science Yeah, of it. <laughs> it sounds it until you really break it down to the energy factor, right? So yeah, no, exactly. the horses are not responding to, oh, should I eat beef or chicken for supper, right? So they're not Yeah, they're responding. probably going to say, I think you should eat grass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're not responding to the actual question. They're responding to your inner knowing of the answer. Exactly. Yeah. And they like the feeling that we have when we are having an inner knowing. It's sort right. of a nice feeling for them. Mm -hmm. It's like you're their herd mate, ideally, if you've connected with them enough. And they're going mm -hmm. kind of, good job. That's the one. That's the one right. you should be doing because it fits with what your body's putting out when you say right. it out loud. That's really important. I like that. Um, okay, so I do have a question, and this might be our last question because I have a feeling it's gonna. You know, we'll probably go dive into it pretty deep. But sure. as a horse owner or rider, can we use the equine assisted therapy techniques to work on self improvement with the help of our own horses? So I'm going to give you a really annoying answer, which no is problem. yes and no. Beautiful. And I will explain where the answer is yes and where the answer is no. Okay. So we can't really teach a you know competitive jumping horse, competitive dressage horse, the full out feel therapy program mm -hmm. because it's so important for those horses to learn to say no and we need to always honor that other than mm -hmm. the exception of their health. So we call this a social contract that we establish with our therapy mm -hmm. horses. We tell them you can say no to absolutely anything other than getting your feet done, getting your shots from the vet, those you still have to do because it's your health. Mm -hmm. But we teach them actively how to say no, because then when you say, should I buy rollerblades? They need to know that they don't have to say yes to something mm -hmm. that you're asking of them. Right. So you don't really want to teach this very active ability to say no to a competitive sport horse because if you've paid a bunch of money for a show and you go to your horse that day and the horse says, well, I don't really feel like doing a show today, if you're really honoring the social contract you've established in this new way with your horse, you have to go, okay, well, I guess I'm just out my deposit and that's mm -hmm. that. We're not going to the show today. 
Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't mean that you can't engage in some levels of learning with your horse on the level that is similar to experiential learning that we teach with our horses. So right. one thing that I think is really valuable for any horse owner to experience if they're not already doing that on a day that they don't have to do a show that they do have all the time in the world, maybe they don't need to ride that day, that they approach their horse in that consensual manner. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to let the horse walk away from you every single time if you're not committing to the field therapy work with clients coming to the farm and that becoming the horse's full-time job. So experiencing what it's like to interact with your horse in a consensual basis sometimes can be really valuable and the horse will be able to differentiate your energy on a day that you're coming to connect with the horse versus a day you're coming to ride. Mm-hmm. It helps to say it out loud so that you are making sure your energy is as non-confusing as possible. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty easy for the horse to tell, okay, she's really quiet and slow and she just wants to connect with me today versus, okay, I see the saddle, they're walking pretty quickly, we're grooming quickly. And mm-hmm. I would actually make a difference in your energy on purpose on those days. Mm-hmm. So if I've decided that sometimes I'm going to, come and just be with my horse and benefit from that interaction and sometimes I'm going to ride I'll kind of all right horse we're here to ride today and that'll be sort of the tempo of my energy compared to hey buddy I'm just here to connect with you today Mm -hmm. and engaging in that process where you only touch your horse if they don't lean away from you you give them enough room that they can walk away easily and just experiencing what that interaction is like can Mm -hmm. be a really neat way of learning what our own energy is putting out when Mm -hmm. we're working with our horses and therefore when we're working with any of the human beings around us too. Do you think that once you've, you know, established that feeling for yourself, right? So if you were to go in and the very first time that you approach your horse with this sort of intention, and then you go through the session of looking for that consent and making sure that you're grounding yourself and very closely monitoring your own energy and what energy you're putting out towards your horse. Do you believe that eventually you could combine those two things? So where you know that when you go to your horse, you are able to ground yourself and present a calm connecting energy, but also have it be productive in the sense of riding and training at the same time. Absolutely. And I would say it would make everyone a better rider. And I mm-hmm. would say there are a lot of riders out there saying, oh, I always do that every time I see my mm-hmm. horse. So I think there are a lot of people out there that are already engaging in this very sort of gentle, consensual interaction. Mm-hmm. It's more of the really big specifics that you wouldn't want to teach a yes, absolutely. competitive horse. And I keep using that competitive uh, word for a reason, and I'll mm-hmm. get back to that a little bit. Um, you know, for example, if you have a horse that you're using to compete with, you don't want to teach the horse that it's okay to walk away from the halter, or that once they're on a lead rope, they can turn around and walk the other direction from right. them, or be the leader in the field and tell you where to go. Because mm-hmm. these are things that in a certain situation could cause mm-hmm. problems for safety. And again, you know, we're going to the show today. That mm-hmm. said, I ride the horses that I work with for therapy. 
<laughs> the difference is between me and you know competitive showing scenario is that I go to the farm with the intention to ride knowing that the horse might not want to ride and I might have right. to get a different horse or I might not be able to ride that day at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that as long as you're staying away from the real specifics of you don't have to let me put your halter on, you right. don't have to walk with me on a lead rope in mm -hmm. a sort of submissive manner mm -hmm. and you're more just focusing on the connection, that is a skill that I believe everyone that works with horses can really benefit from working mm -hmm. on. I think it'll benefit their horse. I think it'll benefit them in their riding or horsemanship career. And again, learning things that will benefit them in their day-to-day -day life. Because the way mm -hmm. we approach human beings is often very similar to the way we approach our horses. Absolutely. And if people are having trouble with the way human beings respond to them, mm -hmm. they should ask themselves, what's their interaction with their horse like? And it could be really uh, helpful to understand why human beings are responding to them in a certain way and the decision making thing too that one takes a little bit more teaching your horse has to get a little bit more accustomed to you asking them a question and looking for a response but with enough repetition you know they are born listening to us mm -hmm. they are born interested in allowing us to be one of our herd mates rather than one of their predators and they love answering our questions for us. And that's mm -hmm. something, again, you can do without creating the safety hazard of teaching your horse that they don't have to let you put halter on them. Right. And mm -hmm. I think it must be very important for these horses that become a part of these programs that if they were to not be in the program anymore and end up in someone else's hands or end up for sale, it would be a very important for that history to go with the horse. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because mm -hmm. one of the things that we are taught, now of course there can always be extenuating circumstances. We're right. not naive to this, but one of the things that we are taught with these horses is once a horse is a trained feel horse, mm -hmm. they're a feel horse for life. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can ever ride them again. Doesn't mean you can never do anything else with them again, mm -hmm. but it, does mean that you should be committing to own that horse for the rest of your life. Of course, mm -hmm. extenuating circumstances can come up, but mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons we have the field community. We all have each other's phone numbers and contact mm -hmm. information once we are certified. So we are strongly, strongly encouraged that, you know, if our house burns down and all of a sudden our life is just right. really challenging and we can't keep our field horses anymore, find someone with the same training mm -hmm. to adopt your horses is absolutely the first choice. And if that is impossible, you really need to look for somebody who understands what this horse's training is, because mm -hmm. it's not to say they don't have training, but that horse will be mortified. They've seen it happen. If you suddenly take them back to you know your job is to submit to me and do everything I say, even if I'm doing it in a gentle manner, I am mm -hmm. dominant and you are not my equal, mm -hmm. you will have some behavior problems from and that the, horse. Yeah. So that's something that happened very early on in the development of these programs. Mm -hmm. And it's something that the communities recognized. You have to really, really commit to that. And quite frankly, it's why I love working with retired horses mm -hmm. because I'm sort of keeping my horses and myself safe from unforeseen circumstances in that mm -hmm. worst case scenario, if something terrible happened and I couldn't 
be a part of their lives anymore Mm-hmm. there's not that much life left for them to live basically no. and it's very likely sadly enough that i will see all my therapy horses die one by one before anything terrible like that knock on wood um right. because i'm starting the work with these horses i mean our horses are stupidly old so a lot of my therapy <laughs> horses are you know 28 29 our oldest horse is 33 years old right now mm-hmm. um So it is a really important factor to be very serious about Mm -hmm. your commitment to this work Mm -hmm. Um, and tying into that because a lot of people are curious like, well, if they have to be able to say no, how do you go on a trail ride safely? What if you say Mm -hmm. stop at this red light and the horse says, I don't want to. And that brings us back to the social contract idea. Just like the horse has to let the farrier do their feet when we go to the horse and say, do you want to go on a trail ride with me? And we do a similar thing to what we do when we're asking them if they want to come up to the round pen for client work and then slowly put the saddle on, watch their body languages. We're doing all of that. The social contract understanding there is, okay, you have consented to the activity of a trail ride, which means that when we are doing this activity, I am the boss because I don't want either of us to get T-boned by a truck. Right. So it's it is very possible to have a horse that you work with in all sorts of different ways and work with in this sort of feel based mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just sort of drawing a line of how structured is what you're doing with your horse. For example, I've talked about the shows a lot and how far are you taking their teachings, for example. Right not needing to put their face through a halter and you know still they got to put the halter on for the farrier so Mm -hmm. they do still you know end up with the teaching of sometimes I will be the boss and for safety too right Right. as much as they have to consent to touching us it's Mm -hmm. also important that we consent to their touch Mm -hmm. so if my 2,000 pound draft horse steps on my foot I'm not going oh honey could you please back off Right. I would prefer you I get off my foot right now because now that horse has crossed my boundary right. and is, you know, putting me in an unsafe situation. So yeah. a lot of it is sort of common sense based. Yeah. And again, trusting your gut because that's what we're doing. So mm-hmm. one of my questions, because I work on a farm where there are both retired horses, which are my fully trained therapy horses and full-time working horses that are a part of a company and are working animals, I had to go to my professors and say, what do I do when all the therapy horses say no? Mm. And I have a working horse adamantly volunteering for a client Mm -hmm. because I know that in general, you're not supposed to work with horses that have sort of solid commitments like shows or work of sorts etc so what do I do when these horses I'm supposed to listen to the horses that's what I've been taught this horse is saying I'm the one to work with the client but I've also been taught by the humans don't use working horses for the field work mm-hmm. and they said what do you think our answer is going to be and I said trust my gut <laughs> and they said yep Mm-hmm. So I have my working horses on the same farm volunteering for this work and I'm okay with them volunteering for the work 
Mm-hmm. It's just really important that I don't rely on them as a full-time therapy horse because mm-hmm. we don't want to 100% teach them. You get to say no absolutely whenever you want in the way right. that I've taught my retired horses that, right. that mantra. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, aside from the horse becoming quite insulted by a change in mm-hmm. approach, there's also the other side of it that they could be you know, looked at as disrespectful or absolutely right. So yeah, it's like, this is a bad horse. This is a poorly trained horse. And you might give yourself a bad reputation too. You know, you might end up with people thinking, Oh my God, these field facilitators, like they Mm -hmm. don't know anything about horsemanship because I got a horse from them and he wouldn't listen to me. So exactly. It's really, really important. Fortunately, this work tends to be so successful from the financial side of things like people mm-hmm. really are interested in becoming our clients so mm-hmm. fortunately it's not something that many of us have had to deal with recently yeah. but it is partly because their applicants are kind of grilled like is mm-hmm. this your life work and they do really encourage people to have a significant amount of life experience that doesn't mean they can't be a younger person but just mm-hmm. did you have a lot of you know character building life experiences to know that this is your calling, this is something you want to do for the rest of your life, or at least the rest of your horse's life, mm-hmm. so that you're not ending up with this situation where, like you said, the mm-hmm. the horse could be seen as misbehaving or yeah. naughty or bad or poorly trained. We had a horse come into a clinic of ours once that, you know, he was presenting some in, some pretty interesting behaviors. And after working with him a few times, we actually discovered that he was trick trained. So the behaviors that he was presenting were really intimidating, right? So the person on the, on the end of the lead line, very rightfully so was quite intimidated by his behaviors and trying to say Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this isn't really what I want my horse to be doing. Um, But yeah, he had been trick trained. And so she was asking him to do things and triggering these responses that look aggressive. Giving him aids she didn't even know she was giving him. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important when we're teaching our horses to do non-conventional things, and it applies to whether it's the therapy work or the trick training or whatever else, that when we are preparing them to be horses that we have that contract. So I love that those horses are are cared for in the way that you have a community you can reach out to. But I also Mm -hmm. caution those of us who are playing with the trick training and, but also don't plan on having these horses our whole lives or know that something might come up, but but to allow, um, you know, allow the people that are going to be owning them or make sure that story follows that horse throughout their history so that they're not, misunderstood and then mistreated as a result of someone else's choice. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I met a mini horse once and thank God it was a mini Mm -hmm. who had been taught to shake a paw Mm. on command. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you reach your hand out to the mini and the mini would shake. But what it looked like to somebody who didn't know that horse had been trained on that trick it looked like striking out. Right. And whether it was the intention of you taught me to do this and I get a treat or the intention of striking out, the result is the same if a little mm-hmm. kid, especially, or an adult is around mm-hmm. that horse and they're trying to get treats because they know that what's basically right. striking 
working out is something they've been rewarded for. So, you know, not only when it comes to what will it be like for this horse if I have to rehome them one day, but taking that caution into how is this going to affect the people around my horse and my horse, even if I am going to keep the horse from the rest of my life, you know, is there going to be a paddock picker or a barn worker that's going to have the horse trying to get a treat or, Mm -hmm. or a reward of some sort because they are used to, you know, doing tricks or rolling in the round pen. Like one of the things we teach our horses is before we start the activity, Mm -hmm. we always let them go into the round pen by themselves first in case they want to roll. Mm-hmm. The reason is that if they're rolling during one of our activities, especially some of the more structured activities, that can be a really big message about vulnerability and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. We don't want to read into that if they're just itchy. Right. So every horse I have knows the very first thing they do when they get into the round pen is have the chance to roll. And most of them really, really like to do that. Mm-hmm. If I just sold those horses off, to a person who wanted them to see the round pen as a place that they work, they're going to get really annoyed with those horses. And horses mm-hmm. are going to be really confused. So not just for safety, but for the horse's emotional well-being and understanding of, well, I used to see a round pen as a place where first I get to roll, and then I get to have this really nice spiritual connection with a client, and then maybe I get to do some weird activities in here Mm -hmm. none of them get worked in the round pen for exercise for that reason so Mm -hmm. even though I don't ever intend to you know see those horses go to another home I'm also thinking about what's the congruence on a day-to-day basis and if I need to exercise my horses I'll bring them into the ring I'll take them on a trail ride I might even hitch them up and drive them around if they're getting really really chubby and that keeps the round pen as a place for them that they know this is a place I'm doing therapy work. Mm-hmm. It's not a place where I'm going to be asked to run around as turtles. Right. And on the flip side too, right? If I take a horse that's new to me and attempt to train them in this therapeutic work and their whole lives, they've been worked mm-hmm. really hard in a round pen. It's going to take a long time to undo that training and mm-hmm. get them to feel calm and centered when I'm in there with them with a client Mm -hmm. so choosing your feel horses wisely is just as important as choosing homes for former feel horses Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so i think it's important just to finish off our conversation to talk Mm -hmm. about the word therapy a little bit more in depth and maybe just around you know why i feel like there's a little bit of a caution on my point or my part of using our horses as our therapy when it comes to just every day. So I've had a really bad day. So I just want to go to the barn and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you go, you go and you go to try to have that ride. So you're like, Oh, well I'm feeling like I had a terrible day. So I'm going to go and ride and, and feel better at the end of my ride. And more often than not, when you're having a really hard day and, and you aren't able to, you haven't trained yourself how to ground, you haven't trained yourself how to, Mm -hmm. you know, really control your energy and match your energy with, with your horse or the energy that you're looking for, then those rides can become almost the, the complete opposite of what we're looking for. So the very thing that we're looking to receive therapy from is actually creating more stress in our lives because it generates more frustration and, and it generates um, more 
feelings of disconnect versus connection. So, you know, mm-hmm. when we go to that burn and I don't understand why my horse won't let it catch, I'm like, like you know, they're supposed to love me and this yeah. is supposed to be my time. And, you know, it gets very frustrating. <laughs> I know I feel people. worse because they keep running away or exactly. I went on a trail ride and they dragged me through a <laughs> right. tree over and over right. again. So for I think sure. it's, it's really important for us to understand that yes, a hundred percent horses can be our therapy, but it's a very large um, undertaking for them. So yeah. they yeah. are, they are energetic healers and they are, they're that, you know, energy is their language. So mm-hmm. when we're asking for them to do that work, I love that you're talking about the consent side of it because it's really important. And I, I, it kind of makes me feel like I should talk about the fact that we should be thinking about this with the people that we're around as well. So looking for that consent to be able to (laughs) offload, you know, Mm -hmm. our, our, you know, energetically draining situations, right? So, you know, getting that consent from your friends or from um, your coworkers of you go in and, oh, well, I just had a really crappy morning do you have the ability to talk to me about this right now? Or, you know, would you like to have this conversation at a different date? Or, you know, just, just looking to have that conversation around knowing that when we are offloading something, it is an energetic drain on the other being. Absolutely. And that ties into a couple different factors in what we do. First of all, like you said, you know, is it fair to do that with your coworker or your spouse or your family member or your friend? That is absolutely one of the takeaways we're sending people off with. I mm-hmm. mentioned it briefly in a non-specific context before about how are other people responding to your energy. Mm-hmm. So a big part of it is about having people learn to ask for that consent in all different parts of their lives with all different people or pets or whoever that's around them. Mm -hmm. As far as I've had a bad day, so I'm going to go ride my horse. There's two factors there. Mm -hmm. The second I'll touch on in a moment, which is more about aftercare and it touches on how do we care for our therapy horses. Mm -hmm. But the first is if you're going to the barn because you've had a really bad day, I would recommend to people that they go without a plan to do anything with their horse. I agree. If Mm -hmm. their horse really needs exercise, maybe they don't have a big turnout and it's really important that they're getting their horse out regularly, give yourself extra time so Mm -hmm. that you're not equating the ride or the round pen work or whatever it is with the therapeutic connection Mm -hmm. part. Do the connection part first. Enjoy Mm -hmm. being close to your horse. Mm -hmm. And also look for it at a distance. You know, if your horse is running away from you because your energy is all crazy, stop chasing them. Mm -hmm. Stay still. Use it as an opportunity to breathe, meditate. I love the five senses exercise. I recommend it to everyone. You just ask, what do I see? What do I smell? What do I hear? Mm. What do I feel? What do I taste? You do it over and over again as you're breathing and you try to come up with something different every time. It's a really grounding exercise. It comes from mindfulness-based therapy. But do nothing around your horse is a really good way to enjoy their sort of therapeutic benefit. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. You'll find that the horse was running away from you 10 seconds ago once you decide to just 
be still for as long as you can manage it. It's very mm -hmm. common that the horse will approach you mm -hmm. once you're in that space. And go, again, if your horse doesn't absolutely need the exercise that day, go with a mind that you're not actually going to do anything active with the horse other than be around them and do little exercises like if I stay completely still, how long will it take for my horse to approach me rather than mm -hmm. the other way around? If my horse is in a small walkout and stall, what if I just go to the front of the stall and don't walk in? And mm -hmm. maybe I'll seek connection from my horse before I even open my stall door. And again, mm -hmm. just be around your horse. Connect your breathing with them. See if you can breathe at the same rate as they are, etc. And again, if you do have to ride them for health reasons, make sure that you give yourself a lot of decompressing and grounding and calming down time first so mm -hmm. that you don't get into that scenario that many of us have experienced mm -hmm. where it's like, well, I was really holding back tears, so I went on a ride. My horse dragged me through a bunch right. of bushes until I sobbed hysterically. And then you'll see the horse turn around their behavior. How many people right. have that story of their horse basically injuring them somehow, mm -hmm. maybe not seriously, but dragging you through bushes, getting scratches on your mm -hmm. arms, you fall off, you sob, and then the horse quiets and comes to you. Right. So try to sob first <laughs> instead of getting mm -hmm. on them first and working that out in a way that maybe is going to become a fight between you and your horse. And like you right. said, make you feel even more rejected or whatever mm -hmm. was causing you to feel nasty from the day mm -hmm. before. Um, but the other really important aspect is aftercare. And this is no different from any helping professional, right? We are taught this as counseling psychologists. It's really important to take care of yourself after you've given your energy to others all day. Yes. So the same is true for our horses. So there are a number of things we are taught when we are going through this program. One is something as simple as figure out your horse's favorite places to be scratched mm -hmm. and spend a little time not grooming, not trying to get them clean, but just going after those sweet spots or those favorite spots with the horse after your client is gone. If they're not really a touchy horse, ask them if they just want to stand around with you for a bit so mm -hmm. that you are now attempting to give them your positive energy rather than the other way around. And if people don't know how to do that, I always say fall back on words. Words mm -hmm. can be very helpful. So, oh, horse, I love you. You were so mm -hmm. helpful today. You did so great with this client or thank you, horse, for taking on my energy when I came to you after my hard day today. Whatever it happens to be, make sure that there is intention in the interaction mm -hmm. as to thanking and giving back. Um, so in our community, we'll scratch, we'll massage, and it's also important that the horse has the opportunity to do their own self-healing work. Mm -hmm. So I'm really lucky that I have a 20-acre farm and 30 horses and a big old forest because it makes it really easy for them to engage in their own self-care. So first I'll offer them care from me if they're kind of saying no I just want to go back which mm -hmm. is often their response you know I'll kind of start offering scratches or whatever and they'll just kind of you know point their nose at the paddock gate and I'm saying okay just want to go back and you'll see them really sort of clear that energy out in a variety mm -hmm. of ways one thing they really like to do is rub themselves up against trees mm -hmm. and we believe that this is a physically grounding thing for them and in a more sort of metaphorical way to look at it, they're actually pulling the energy they've taken from the client off of them as they rub up against a tree. 
the other thing they'll do if they don't want the grooming from me is they might go find their good buddy and get mm -hmm. grooming from them. Mm -hmm. Or they might just go run for a couple of minutes. And again, that's why I'm really fortunate to have the small mm -hmm. acreage that I do because they have the freedom to go and buck and run and snort and, you know, shake their head around. And I mean, we talk about shake it off, right? Mm -hmm. So especially if your horse is in a fairly small confined space that doesn't give them access to other horses easily, you know, maybe they can sniff through the, through the bars, but they can't reach over a fence and groom each other. It's really ideal to put your own energy into sort of taking care of your horse rather mm -hmm. than the other way around once the horse is taking care of you for a bit. And if mm -hmm. at all possible, find an open space for them. So if there is a turnout that you have access to temporarily or a round pen, don't work them, just put them in there in case they want to run around and buck for a little bit. Giving them the opportunity to physically release mm -hmm. can be a really good way of allowing them to clear themselves and thanking them is so huge. Just the intention of a mm -hmm. thank you. Is a I really was just going to say really using them as a part of your gratitude practice. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And again, lessons for other people, right? How often mm -hmm. do we dump a load off on, often it's our spouse that we talk about mm -hmm. doing that with, but friends, relatives, etc. And then it's just over. It's just, mm -hmm. okay, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, right. oh, I'm done. As opposed to, you know, thank you. I really appreciate you listening to all mm -hmm. of that. I know it wasn't easy for you to hear all of my negative stuff from the day. Thank you. Yeah. And just like it will improve our relationship with our horses to be grateful, mm -hmm. it will improve our relationship with everyone around us. Absolutely. Well, I believe we should probably cut it off there because I feel like this is one of those conversations that we really could dive in deeper and deeper. Um, <laughs> I would love to have you back on sometime. And I really I appreciate you, um, you being on this episode because I think it was some very valuable information. And and uh, yeah, I would just love to chat with you further sometime. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'd love to come on and tell you some weird stories about horse behaviors I've never oh, that'd seen be amazing. before one day because that's always a really fun topic too. Yeah. But yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks so much, Emily. that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind. Mm -hmm.